Can we give just a good Eastgate welcome to our friend Jamie Wireman? Well, before we get started, everybody stand with me. Go around and just greet a couple, two or three people in the name of the Lord. Tell them how much you love them and appreciate them this morning. Jeremy, settle down, settle down. <laughs> uh, uh, there's always one in the bunch, right? <laughs> um, well, first of all, thank you for coming out to the house of uh, the Lord this morning. Um, thankful to be able to bring the word. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. We're going to begin reading with the scripture. It says, Now the Lord provided. Everyone say, Provided. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Now anytime you read the scripture in the Old Testament, we should always be looking for traces, we should all be looking for glimpses or types and shadows of Jesus. Amen. You might say, why Jesus? Because the whole Bible is talking about Jesus. So it doesn't matter, you know, if you're in the Old Testament or whether you're in the New Testament. You can always find the Bible talking about Jesus. So the Bible says in Jonah chapter uh, 1 that he spent three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish. Do you know somebody else that spent three days and three nights somewhere? His name is Jesus. Jesus went into the belly of the earth. For three days he was in that tomb, but something happened in that tomb, and he was resurrected, and he brought life to you and I. How many is thankful this morning that they serve a living God? Now, this morning we're going to be talking a lot about Jonah and his helpless but not hopeless situation that he found himself in. And we're going to focus a lot about prayer. How many knows prayer is very important? So speaking of that, let's go ahead and let's pray. Father, we thank you so much uh, for this time that we have today. We thank you for what you're doing in this church and in this community. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for uh, the anointing that is present in this place. It's tangible. Father, we believe that you are uh, uh, brought us here for a purpose, on purpose, for a reason. So we ask, Lord, that you would speak to us this morning. We don't want to waste one minute of the time that you have for us today. I pray now that you would engage with us or in our hearts and in our minds. Uh, Lord, I just thank you, Father, that you prepare our ears to hear what you would have us to say today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. and amen. amen. 
So for you, for those of you that missed last Sunday, we started this series on Jonah. Now Jonah is a prophet uh, for Israel, and Jonah is known to, uh, by many theologians to be a reluctant prophet, meaning God is going to continue to speak to uh, Jonah time and time again, and time and time again, Jonah will choose to go on his own path instead of what God is telling him to do. Funny enough, Jonah's name we learned last week, Pastor Josh told us, his uh, name represents dove. And Jonah has this tendency to run away. Now, I grew up in eastern Kentucky, and I had a great childhood. I had many pets, many animals. We had, you name it, we had it. We had deer. We had uh, anything you could imagine, from skunks uh, to groundhogs to, they were my pets. That's what kind of pets. People had dogs and cats as pets. I had groundhogs as pets. Some of my favorite pets, though, are, are the uh, feathered type, birds, geese, ducks. Did you know that birds know whenever a storm is coming? Birds will always flee before the storm hits because they're trying to escape harm. So Jonah, this reluctant prophet, he's trying to run away from the instruction that God has given him. Now Jonah's dad's name is Amittai, which uh, means truth. So Jonah is the son of truth, yet he has this problem, and whenever things come problematic, Jonah, he tends to run or fly away. Now, Pastor Josh taught last week on running away. So my question today for you is, what is it that you're running away from that you should be running to? See, I have a feeling that there's a lot of us in here today, we have a lot of Jonah that's on the inside of us. Now, I don't know about you, but in 2023, I, I don't want to run away from, I don't want to live scared, but instead I want to run to that uncomfortable place that God has been calling me to. Because I believe that all of our promises and all of the purpose of our lives is on the other side of our fears. You see, your calling is not for your glory, but it's for God's glory. The Bible says that Jonah gets this word from God, but he doesn't like it. Hmm. I hope you know that whenever God speaks to you, he's not going to always tell you things that you want to hear. So if you're waiting for a word from God that you're going to like, you might be waiting for a really long time. Because God might speak something to you, and it might require you to do something that is very challenging. Do you really think all these people that we read about in the Word of God, they love doing the stuff that they, they had to do? Come on. Do you think David really wanted to fight that giant? I mean, come on. He was 13 years old and had three armpit hairs. And all he had was a slingshot. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Do you think that they wanted to go into that fiery furnace? No, but they were willing David, do you think that he wanted to go into the lion's den? Do you think he wanted to test out to see if those kittens were going to bite or not? Abraham, after waiting 100 years for his uh, child, do you want to think that he wanted to sacrifice his child? Jesus, do you think that he wanted to go to the cross? No. Lord, my flesh is weak, but my spirit is willing. Do you know a couple of things that really please God? is faith and obedience. God wants to use you, 
but you got to stop and you got to pause and you got to listen to him and you got to step out in faith and obey what he's speaking to you to do. We need to realize that whenever God speaks to us, it might not be what we like, it might not be what we want, but trust me, it will be better than you can ever imagine or ever expect. But what does Jonah do? Jonah, he runs away. See, we think the farther that we get away from God, the more his voice will actually drown out. But how many knows it don't work that way? You can run from God, but you cannot hide from God. The Bible says that Jonah gets on this boat. He goes 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. Can I stop there just for a second? Sometimes we will work harder trying to get away from the things that God has for us to do than just doing what God has us to do, and it'd be so much more easier. But we think that we can get away. So he goes this 2,500 miles in the opposite direction, and he goes to sleep in this boat. And last week, I know Pastor Josh mentioned that the devil will always have the wrong uh, boat available for you. Now, I'd like to mention real quick three quick things that will keep us off the wrong boat. How many would like to stay off the wrong boat? Number one is intimacy with God. It starts with prayer. And all prayer is, we make it so complicated, it's just talking to God, just like me and you talking. So what's your prayer life look like today? Number two is Bible application. It's not about reading tons of verses. It's not about reading chapters a day. It's about reading one verse and understanding what that one verse is and applying that one verse to our life. And let me just say this. The blessing is not in the knowing. The blessing is in the doing. And then third thing is community with believers. It will help you from getting on the wrong boat. It's the godly people that he sends into our life that we do life together that will keep us straight. Why did Jonah run? Where did he run to? Who did he get with? Just a bunch of guys. Didn't know him from anything. You see, we need to hang with people that knows the call of God that is on our life, that sees the ministry that's in our life, that sees the anointing that's on our life. If you don't know where you're going, then people will be glad to take you on their boat, and you'll end up wherever they're headed, and you'll be in the wrong place. You've got to be intentional with those that you uh, hang around today. You've got to be intentional with the people that you want to be around the most. So Jonah, he goes on this boat, and God sends this supernatural crazy storm. And the storm is so big and so bad that these men, they go down below, and they get Jonah, and they'll wake him up. And sometimes, I want to say, in order to get your attention, God may use a storm to wake you up. See, you don't want to hear this, but you're going to hear it. You see, the storm just didn't wake Jonah up physically, but the storm also woke him up spiritually. In verse 9 in chapter 1, he reminds himself of who he is. If it wasn't for the storm, Jonah would have still been asleep in the bottom of the boat. But the storm woke him up, and he reclaimed his identity. He said, I'm a child of God. I'm submitted to the promise. I'm under God's control. Though the storm be raging... God is still in control. So you can run, but you can't hide from God. Holy Ghost is here today, and he's trying to wake some people up. He's trying to remind you of who you are in Christ. You've got to wake up. 
his grace will track you down. Now, I'm not saying all your storms are just coming because you're being in, uh, disobedient, but some of them are. Yeah. Or could some of the storms just be our own fault? Yeah. It's funny how we love to blame the devil about everything, but sometimes, come on, we're just idiots. Yeah. You ever find yourself doing something, you're just like, man, that was dumb. I'm an idiot. <laughs> sometimes it's our own fault. Yeah. But some of you have been running for a while and you chose to do that, but God will not quit. God will not give up on you. I don't care how far you run, he will chase after you. His grace will track you down. And the only way that the storm will settle is if you surrender your life to God's plan and purpose. Isn't it amazing that's a storm that's happening here in the Bible? It was Jonah's storm. And it wasn't the sailor, sailor storm. However, those sailors, out of the kindness and the goodness of their heart, they, they took him in. They allowed him, Jonah to be on their boat. And now all of a sudden, here they are sharing Jonah's storm. How many of you know that that will preach? I mean, we can stay there and just teach forever. Have you ever had somebody else share their storm with you? Have you ever taken a real account of your life and, and say, just now, wait a minute, I'm going through all this stuff, all this drama's going on in my life. Is it because of me or is it because I'm hanging around the wrong people and I've got the wrong people in my boat? Sometimes the only way to get the drama to settle down and get the storm to calm down is if we kick people off our boat. Now somebody's wife's like, yeah, I knew that. Yeah, preach. Yeah, my husband, I'm, I need, God's speaking to me. No, that's not God. That's what you wanted to hear. The truth of the matter is we must be intentional with those that we want to allow in our life. Because sometimes the people that we've allowed into our life, they're running from something. And whenever somebody's uh, disobeying God, the consequences just won't wreak havoc in your life. Guess what? It's going to wreak havoc in, in other people's lives too. So the men on the boat, they come to Jonah, and they're like, hey, bud. I'll just put it in Eastern Kentucky language. Hey, bud, what, what are you doing? What's going on? And he's like, hey, I'm running from God. And like, well, I wish you would have told me that before we allowed you on the boat. So they say, what, what are we going to do now? And he's like, the only way to get this storm to stop, the only way to get this settled down is just go ahead and throw me overboard. But these guys are good guys, and they're like, no, no, we don't want to, you know, we're going to keep you. But the storm gets worse. The rain keeps on falling even harder. The wind started to blow even harder. And they finally say, okay, bud, you got to go. Yeah. And they throw him over the boat. So they throw Jonah over the boat, and whenever he hits the water, the Bible says that the storms become completely calm. How many of you know in here that just because something appears to be completely calm on the surface, that doesn't mean that it's calm below the surface? See, for Jonah, this was a picture of salvation as he was hurled over into the sea. It was a picture of him saying, God, I am willing to die that you might be resurrected in my life and live in me. That was what salvation is. Salvation is going, God, I die that you might live in me. Remember John the Baptist? What did he say? 
Come on. I must decrease that you might what? Increase. God, less of me and more of you. Throw me into the water. And here's the thing that we need to understand. I'm better off obeying Jesus in the storm than I am disobeying Jesus in the boat. As Jonah was going into the water, he probably thought to himself, all right, this, have you ever seen something coming? You just all right, I'm dead. This is it. I'm not coming back from this one. Come on, think about it. Put yourself in his shoes. But out of nowhere, God sends a fish, this big, huge fish with his grace and provision, and that fish swallows Jonah whole. Has anyone in here been swallowed by a fish? I'm going to guess not, right? Think about how traumatizing that must have been. You probably need therapy, right? Come on, you'd need support groups. You'd be in there, hi, my name is Jamie. I was swallowed by a fish. You're like, oh, dude, you got issues. You, you got things much worse than I do. So Jonah, he was swallowed by this fish. And again, it had to be traumatizing, hanging out three days and three nights inside that fish. You see, the fish, to me, represents God's uh, discipline and his discipleship. Listen, if God delivers you, but he never uh, disciplines you, how do you ever learn? If God saves you, but he never disciples you, how do you ever discover your purpose that he created you for? What's crazy is Jonah, he goes into this water, and it appears to be the scariest, the worst place that he could ever be. I mean, it had, had to be like just traumatizing as he stepped over that boat, I'm will, saying, I'm willing to die, but it was salvation. It was surrender that then as he hits that water, this fish, God's provision plan, comes up and swallows him up. But the real pain... And the real challenge begins whenever he's inside the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Anybody ever been in a car accident or been had some kind of major accident? You think the real pain and the real hurt is whenever you're in that accident, but really it's the following whenever you wake up the next day and you're all sore and everything going on. But just try to get a picture of it. Just try to imagine what it must have been like inside the belly of that fish. It had to be cramped. No doubt it was uncomfortable. No doubt. I mean, he didn't have matches or a candle. Come on. It was wet anyway, even if he did have something like that. It had to be pitch dark in there. And the smell, the stench, come on. I'm sure you couldn't move very much. And I'm sure Jonah thought to himself a couple of times, this is not cool. <laughs> I don't like hanging out in this fish. Yet what we learn from this story is God doesn't always give us what we want, but God gives us what we need. So the Bible says that the Lord provided a huge fish. And here's the mistake that we make. It's a mistake that people make all the time. Don't mistake God's provision for punishment. I'm going to say it again. Do not mistake God's provision for punishment because it's very easy whenever you're inside the fish to think God is punishing me. It would be real easy to think God must be really, really mad at me right now. God must really hate me right now. Why, why am I in this fish? Why did he swallow me up? Why am I still alive to even talk about it? God, I'm angry right now. God, isn't it, this isn't cool. Why on earth have you restricted me? 
Why have you uh, disciplined me? Why am I so cramped? Why am I so uncomfortable? It's tight inside this fish. Listen to me. If you're not careful, you'll start to view the fish as punishment. That's the trick of the enemy. You know, after pastoring for quite a while, you start learning. The devil has some tricks, but he don't have a bunch of them. He'll just continue to try to use the same ones over and over again. And people will come into your office and they'll say, I'm going through this, this, and this. And you can be like, okay, the devil's going to do this, this, and this. You're like, how do you know that? Because he's limited. He only has a few tricks. So don't fall for his tricks. But this fish... God sent a fish to protect and to provide for him. You see, maturity in the Lord is whenever you're able to differentiate between God's punishment and God's provision. If you're immature and you lose your job, you walk in tomorrow morning, Monday morning, and they say, hey, come to our office, and they give you a pink slip, and they say, hey, bud, we don't need you no more. An immature person will throw a tantrum tantrum, probably knock some things off the wall. They will fall apart. But maturity in the Lord says, you know what? I must have gotten let go because God has a better job. God has a better place for me. He has better pay for me. God's going to do something special. I'm going to remain thankful, and I'm going to praise him. You see, immaturity in the Lord is whenever your girlfriend breaks up with you and you, the one that you know shouldn't have gave your heart to, but you did. Immaturity's response is, my life is over. There's nobody else out there for me. This is the worst day of my life. There's no more good news. But immaturity, uh, you know, that's what a person does. But if you're mature in the Lord, you say, you know what? God must have let her leave for a reason. God must have somebody better, made better for me that will suit me that, that I can actually marry. Yeah. Yeah. How many of you know that whenever you discover God's provision, even in disappointment, it can direct you back to God's will. I know there's times it's flashing in your head that you can remember whenever it was disappointing, but when now when you look back, it's the best thing that ever happened to you. So you've got to differentiate b between the two. Some of the things you're believing that's punishment is actually provision. Whenever Jonah was in the fish, he could have gotten a bad attitude. Hello? <laughs> I mean, come on, we, we can go through the drive-thru and set five minutes in the drive-thru and, and we can get a bad attitude. And here, this man was in the fish for three days and three nights. But instead, what did he, he discovered? Jonah discovered that he needed this fish. And what we see is he needed the fish because it developed him the right spirit before God. Someone says, what is that right spirit? I will tell you the spirit is brokenness. Now, this is not popular preaching. It's not something where people will shout you down, but it's a cold, hard truth that everybody needs to know. Listen to me. God loves working through broken things. You've got to get broken before God. You've got to say to God, it's not up to me. God, I surrender it all to you. God, I'm willing to go overboard for you. I've died to myself. Lord, I am broken. Listen, if you're not broken before God, that means you're just simply full of yourself. 
And God works with broken things. God works with empty things. God works with depleted things. You don't come to Jesus full of yourself. You come to Jesus and you say, I've got nothing left in the tank. All I have is you, Lord. Now let me read you one of the most encouraging scriptures, and I, I encourage you to write this down or make a note of it, go back and read it. First Corinthians chapter one, verse twenty-seven. It's a powerful, powerful scripture. Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, and we could just stay here and preach on this for a whole service, but I thought it was was worth mentioning. It says, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Here we go. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Amen. Let me tell you why this is good news for us. Because it shows you the criteria. It shows you the qualifications that you are needed to be used by the, by the Lord. God doesn't want to use wise people. He don't want to use strong people. He don't want to use people that boast in their own strength. God uses the foolish people. He uses the weak people. God's looking for some people that whenever he gets done using them powerfully, that they will give God all the glory and honor. Listen to me. The greater the anointing, the greater the breaking. We need to be broken before the Lord. The greater the anointing, the greater the breaking. If you want to be used by the Lord, you have to get broken before God. Think about whenever you break something. Anybody here ever broke an arm or broke a leg? Whenever you break something, what happens? They put a cast on you, right? What does that cast practically do? The cast practically restricts mobility, and, and, and it holds those bones in place, and it begins to mend, and it begins to reshape, and it begins to put things back together. Jonah, he experienced salvation. He jumped overboard, and he died to his own self, but now God, in his grace and in his provision, although it might not look like it, he sent this huge fish to swallow him up. It was traumatic, but the real trauma, the real pain is just beginning inside the fish. The fish is behaving like a cast for Jonah's destiny. Listen, God has some of you here today and he's got you in the cast and it's because he's got great plans and a great purpose for your life and he wants to use you if you will just uh, uh, lean on him. But this cast that he's putting on, it's restricting the mobility that he may heal, that he may be shaped into the man and woman that, that God wants you to be. The greater the anointing, the greater the breaking. So how do you know whenever you're broken? You know you're broken before God whenever you're able to pray like Jesus prayed. Father, not my will, but your will. Come on. Not my will, but your will. Listen to me. Brokenness is so necessary, but brokenness is a season. It's not a destination. What I mean by that is you can't live inside the fish. Being inside the fish, it's just a phase in your life. You have to, something that you've got to go through to develop something, to be strengthened, to be reshaped into the person that God has called you to be. 
but you can't live there forever. I love Jonah because he's inside this fish, and he doesn't seem to, uh, you know, it, it doesn't seem to let him bother him. He's completely helpless. Although he's completely helpless, how many know he's very, very far from being hopeless? Yeah. There was, there's always hope whenever you have God. And today, maybe you feel like God's mending you. Maybe you feel like you're being reshaped. You might look and appear to be helpless, but I want to encourage you this morning. You are not hopeless. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm not hopeless. And you say, well, Jamie, what do I do when I don't know what to do? What do I do whenever I feel like I'm inside the fish? There's only one thing that we get to do, and I say get. Everybody says, I got to pray. No, you get to pray. So it's prayer. You get to pray. Now, I want to encourage you with three basic things. I'm going to go real quick in this. I discovered in Jonah chapter 2. So whenever you feel like you're going through something, you know what you got to do? We pray. You see, there's an action plan, and it's called prayer. It's called growing closer to Jesus. Now, we just got off 21 days prayer and fasting, and I think it's uh, such an important season that we are in as believers, and I think that we need to take advantage of all the things that God is doing. And if you don't hear and you've not been praying, there's no easier uh, day to start than today. Yeah. And maybe you're here and you say, I don't know how to pray. Well, get with somebody. Get with Pastor Jeremy or somebody after church and say, hey, I want to know how to pray. And then when you do that, grab a journal. I call it a prayer journal. Someone call it his notebook. Because I believe that God wants to speak to you and reveal himself to you and give you new and fresh things. Come on, do you believe it? I might be hopeless. I might be helpless, but I'm not hopeless. You're never hopeless when you have God. So three things. The first thing is, that we see in Jonah's prayer in chapter 2. It's a prayer of precision. It's a prayer of precision. It's precise. It's specific. If God puts it on my heart to pray someone, I'll ask them, what is the one thing that you want me to agree with you in prayer? Amen. I always love it when people ask me that because it's not, I know they're not being generic. Yeah. Come on, be specific. Don't just say, hey, man, we're praying for you that you're blessed and highly favored. Lord, God is good all the time. All the time is God good. Praise God. No, what I want is a specific degree specifically with you in prayer. And I think whenever we realize the weapon that we have in prayer, man, there's no stopping us. But we need to be descriptive and specific in our prayer. As Jonah begins to pray in Jonah chapter 2, what you'll notice is that he's using and he's going to great lengths to describe his situation and circumstance that he's in. He's not leaving it up to happenstance, but he's being specific. Martin Luther, the great church reformer uh, who started the Protestant movement, uh, this is what he said, and I love it. He, he said this. He said, pray and let God worry. Yeah. Come on, how good is that? Pray and let God worry. Yeah. That'll preach, right? Yeah. Isn't it amazing how precise we can be with our own worries, but how generic we can get when it comes to our prayers? 
If you've got a specific worry, if you have a precise problem, if you're walking through something, if you have some specific challenges, then why in the world do we offer up to God these shotgun, generic, general prayers? I don't know about you, but I've got some specific, detailed, descriptive things that I need God to do in my life. I need a specific blessing. I need a descriptive uh, blessing. I don't need something generic. So why would I offer up some generic prayer to God? Do you have a specific thing that you need God to do in your life? Someone walked in here today with a specific worry. And you walked in here today with a precise problem that you were worried about. Whether it was, I can't believe I hadn't found a job yet. I can't believe I got laid off from my job. I can't believe that they haven't given me that promotion. I can't believe I haven't found a man yet. I can't believe I haven't got married. I can't believe how bad my marriage is going. I can't believe how crazy my kids are. I can't believe my husband. Oh, God, help my husband. Come on, you got things that you're going through that you're worried about, but then we come to church and we're like, oh, yes, Lord, the best is yet to come. Come on, stop being fake. What about your life? What, what do you want to get better? What in your life do you want to see God do? Give it over to him. And what you find from Jonah is that he, he's in a helpless situation, this broken state towards God, and he's being reshaped, he's being reformed into the man that God has called him to be. And he's praying precise prayers. In fact, something that uh, I want you to look at uh, here, he's actually praying the word. He's being real specific. He's actually praying God's word. And this is a tool, it's a technique that I want to share with you guys because we, if you don't know where to begin to pray, start with praying God's word. Jonah chapter 2, verse 2, I want you to look at this. It says, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me from deep in the realm of the dead. I called for help, and you listened to my cry. That's Jonah chapter 2, verse 2. Now, look at Psalms 30, verse 3. It was written by King David. It was written before Jonah, but Jonah must have heard the song. He must have heard the prayer. Uh, he must have read it before. But look at this. It says, You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the deep. You spared me from going down to the pit look at the similarities how he's drawing from something he heard that he read or that he sung Jonah chapter 2 verse 3 you hurled me into the depths into the very heart of the sea and the current swirled about me all your waves and breakers swept over me look at Psalms 42 7 it says now deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfall all your waves and breakers have swept over me look at it he just keeps on going on Jonah 2 5 the engulfing waters threaten me look how descriptive this is the deep surrounding me seaweed was wrapped around my head Psalm 69 1 save me O God for the waters have come up to my neck I sing the mirrored depths where there is no foothold I come into the deep waters the flood engulfs me you can go on and on. Jonah 2.9. It says, 
I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed. I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. These are prayers that he's praying in the fish, but this isn't the first time that he's prayed these prayers. You can tell. Psalm 60, uh, 60 verse 9 says, I will come to your temple with burnt offerings and fulfill my vows to you. Vows my lips promised and my mouth spoke when I was in trouble. What is he doing? He's sampling a song that he's heard from the past. See, the one reason why you should come to church is life might be going really good right now. All of every, the, all the puzzles might be uh, put together. You might be on cloud nine. Everything might be just fine and great. And you're by yourself all of a sudden, and hopefully, you know, there's a word whenever you find yourself in a hard time. It's written on your heart whenever you're in your darkest hour, and you've got a song that is on you that you can sample from the past, and the word of the Lord comes out of your tongue so that you're not without any words. You have to got to pray something. Say, I've got a prayer. I've got breakthrough. I need a blessing. Come on. He wants to know your heart. He wants to know the circumstances and the situations. He wants to hear you pray. If I've got precise worries, I can't offer up generic prayers. I need specific blessings from God that I need from getting specific requests. Jonah does that from inside the fish. Second thing, so number one, he was precise. Number two, he also prayed with passion. He's praying with passion. Jonah chapter 2, 1 and 2 says, From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. He's given us a picture here. He has motions. Real passion. It's amazing how often we can come to church and we can create church like it's this compartmentalized area of our life. I mean, it, it, and if we don't watch, we can develop this religious spirit that, that God is distant that, and even our behavior would indicate that we think that he's distant. We don't want to show emotions. We don't want to lift our hands. We don't want to worship loudly. We don't want to cry before the Lord. We don't want to show vulnerability. And after we do all that, we hide behind the lie that we just say, you know, well, it's just emotionalism. It's just sensationalism. However, other, every other relationship that you're in, you are full of emotion. Listen, whenever I met Lauren, it's the best cognitive decision that I could ever make in my life. But when I seen her too, you better believe I felt something. Amen. Amen. Whenever it comes to church and it comes to God, we think prayer is just simple logic. It is logical, but it's also emotional. It should be full of passion. It should be full of God. In my distress, he said, you heard me. You heard my cry, God. You see, this is a real relationship. It isn't something that I'm going through the motions. God is as real to me as you are real to me. This is a real thing. It's amazing how on Saturday or we'll get up or on Sundays, people will show up to a game. Chad, I'm going to step on some toes. Well, we'll go flip on the TV, watch our favorite team play. Grown men, right? Come on. 
Grown men, we'll, we'll get all pumped up, we'll get all jacked up, and we'll start hugging each other. We'll, grown men, something over them, we'll start crying. Grown men will start high-fiving, they'll start screaming, they'll start shouting, they'll start singing, all for a team that doesn't even know your name. Listen, I love my team. I bleed blue. I love my team. But how many knows that whenever I'm in distress, whenever I'm in trouble, whenever I'm being disciplined or whenever I'm being discipled and whenever I'm being shaped, I can cry as loud as I want to to my team, but that team cannot do anything for me. They can't hear me. And even if they could hear me, they couldn't do nothing. Oh, but there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother, and his name is Jesus. And in your distress, he hears your cry, and he will respond to you. So why not offer up prayers of passion? Amen. You ever notice that you start getting desperate, you get determined? Yeah. Come on in here. Have you ever got desperate for something? Yeah. Anybody ever woke up, maybe you're traveling, you woke up in the middle of the night, and you're thirsty? Yeah. And it just feels like you run a marathon right in the middle of the Sahara Desert? I mean, you get out of bed, maybe you're in a strange place in a motel or something, it's pitch black, you know, not familiar with how the layout is, and you're stubbing your toe on things, and you go to a little mini fridge, and there's no water in the mini fridge, and you're just looking around, all you want is some water. And you finally stumble and make it to the bathroom and just put your head under the faucet. Anybody ever been there before? <laughs> My point is, desperation leads to determination. When I get desperate for water, I will find water. I get determined. I make it my pursuit to go and find water. Give you a good example. Everybody remember whenever we thought we weren't going to have any more gas? How many got desperate? How many got determined that they were going to find the gas station? I remember one day I had to drive around to 20 gas stations before I finally found some gas. And I was like, praise God, I got me some gas. But when you get desperate, you get determined. The question is, what are you desperate for? Because some people in churches today were desperate for the wrong reasons. You're desperate to make your name great. You're desperate to build your profile. You're desperate to be perceived as a strong man and woman. How many know that this is a type of desperation that will lead to a determination that will ultimately lead to destruction? But desperation is not wrong. It comes down to what you're desperate for. I want us to be people that's desperate to hear from God. I want us to be people that will be desperate for his presence. Look, I love cool church. I love creative church. I love excellence in church. I love all that stuff. But it all compels in person to the tangible presence of God's anointing being on and in this house. It only shows up when the church gets desperate for him. We need men that are desperate to be men of God, to, be, to love their wives and lead their homes with integrity and character. We need women that are desperate to walk in the character of God, to walk in the nurturing nature of our Savior, to raise our kids with the helps of our husbands, to fear and love God. We need church that is desperate. Look, don't wait until trouble comes before you let desperation break out. No, we need to value the fact that God is real and, and our God is for us. And we've learned that our desperation, it leads to determination. 
Anybody in here today determined to see God do some great things in Douglas County? See, I'm determined because I'm desperate. So Jonah prays, God, you heard my cry. God, I'm desperate. And God shows up. The third thing that we see in his prayer is the posture of his prayer. Jonah chapter 2, verse 9. But Jonah says, But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed. I will make good, I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. Now, what you will discover in Jonah chapter 2, that as Jonah prays, it's not a prayer for deliverance that he's praying, but rather it's a prayer of deliver, deliverance that he's praying. See, Jamie, I don't understand. The posture of Jonah's entire prayer is a posture of gratitude. That's his posture. He, he is in, in position. He's saying, you know, Lord, you're gr I'm grateful no matter what's going on. And here's the deal. When you get grateful, you get faithful. His prayer is prophetic. He's still inside this huge fish, but he's thanking God that he's already out of the fish. That's some real stuff right there. That's some real faith. God, I'm not where I want to be. God, I might not even feel like I need to feel like, but God, I know that you're bringing me out. He prayed the prayer of deliverance. So our posture, it's very important. You don't see Jonah complaining. Come on, we are a people we love to complain. We will find something to complain about, whether it's the air conditioning, whether it's the heat, whether it's the pastor preached too long or he didn't preach long enough, whether the music was too loud or whether the music was too low. We will find things to complain about. You don't hear Jonah complaining about, you don't hear him saying, why am I in this moment? Why are you reshaping me? Why, why are you mending me? Why am I in this spot? Why am I here? He's not complaining. He's giving God praise. He's thanking God. His posture is one of gratitude. Someone may be thinking, well, Jamie, how do I know if I have a posture, if my posture's correct? You know your posture's correct whenever it's painful, but you're still thankful. You know you have the posture of gratitude, the posture of praise, whenever it's painful, but you're still thankful. How many here you're thankful for God this morning? Listen, I'm not saying you have to lock the fish. I'm not saying you have to lock the circumstances that you're in right now. I'm not saying you have to lock the betrayal or the disappointment. But recognize that you've got to walk through the pain before you, God shapes you. When God is forming you, when God is molding you into the person he's called you to be, you might feel some pain. So my encouragement this morning to you is don't give up. Do not quit. Make sure, get your posture right. Put your shoulders back. Put your chin up. You're a man. You're a woman of God. Amen. Walk in gratitude. Walk in thankfulness. Praise the Lord because he has taken you out of fish because God has a way of spewing you up. Jonah chapter 2 verse 10. It says, And the Lord commanded the fish and involved Jonah out onto dry land. I don't think it's a coincidence that in the very next verse that Jonah 
whenever he decides to get grateful in the midst of the difficult circumstances, that's whenever God has the fish spew him out. When you get grateful, when we shift our mindset, when we lift our eyes and we give God praise, it will either release God's provision or it will open your, up, your eyes up to see the provision that was around you all along. Why? Because gratitude is the gateway to the provision of God. See, it's easy to stop believing whenever, all, whenever it looks like all hope's gone. But when hope vanishes, that's whenever you need to look for Jesus the most. Because he could be right there beside you. You can't see him. Whenever hopeless overrides your faith, your eyes are blinded to what's really going on. But some of you, the answers to your prayers, the answers to your greatest problems are, will come in the time of your greatest discouragements. just need to look to him. Will you all stand with me this morning? I come to tell you, if you find yourself in trouble, Jesus is nearer than ever before. If you haven't been seeking him because your faith's been swallowed up, but during these hopeless times, that's when you're best positioned for a godly encounter. Look at your neighbor and say, everything changes today. I come to tell you this morning, God's not forgotten about you. You're not alone in this battle. God promises you hope today. He wants me to remind you that your future is secure in him, no matter what the circumstances are. Proverbs 23, 18 tells us, if you don't get anything out of this, get this scripture. Take it home, read it, meditate on it, and get it inside you. It says, there is future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. Proverbs 23, 18. So today, with shouts of grateful praise, God, we worship you. We thank you for saving us. We thank you for healing us. We thank you for setting us free. We thank you for bringing us out of that situation. We thank you for bringing us out of that circumstance. And listen, in my prayer time this week, first of all, we're going to pray for people here in just a second. I don't get in no hurry. If you're in a hurry, you can leave. Won't offend me. Won't bother me. We once did a service and when we pastored in Ohio, when we got done, anybody ever just felt a heaviness, the, the God just move and it's just a thickness. And I mean, it got quiet and the longer we sit, the heavier it got. And we all just sat at the end of service and just sat there under God's anointing. And we sat there for hours. And there was people that got up left right away that missed it. And there was some people that lasted an hour and a half or whatever. But we sat there. Because I don't know about you, but I, there's nothing more pleasing than being in the presence of God. So this morning, if you're here, first of all, if you're not born again, if you're not a child of God, if you haven't uh, put your sins under the blood of Jesus, hear when we pray in just a minute. You can come up and we'll pray with you. We'll lead you in a prayer and you can give your heart to God. It'll be the best decision you ever made.
I never take anything. Listen, I've been to a bunch of pastors' conferences where they give an altar call for salvation, and there's a bunch of pastors come up. You will never find me take things for granted. We're all human. We all mess up. We all make mistakes, and we all need Jesus. But if you're here and you don't have a relationship with God, in a minute you can come up. If you're here and you're sick and you're going through things, you have pain in your body. Maybe it's something mentally. God wants to heal you. He took the straps on his back for your healing. So if that's you, in a minute, you can come up. God wants to do a miracle in your life. You don't have to put up with that pain. You don't have to put up with that sickness and disease. And then the third thing, there's people that's here today, God showed me this, that's been running. Not necessarily that you're running away from, you know, being a Christian, but you've been running away from your calling. You've been running away from what God's plan and purpose is for your life. Not saying you're not saved, not saying if you died today you wouldn't go to heaven, but I'm saying he has a plan, he has a purpose for your life. It's very specific, and you've been running from it. If that's you, you'll be able to come up. And the last one, and the greatest one that I kept on feeling all week, is there's people here today, and you got the wrong people in your boat. And it's time to kick them out of your boat. And listen, don't feel sorry, don't feel bad, because here's the thing. When those men kicked Jonah out of the boat, what happened? God had a plan for their life. So don't think, well, I'm going to kick this person to the curb because they're causing all kinds of chaos in their life, and I'm not supposed to have them in my boat. No, you're actually helping them out. God will have somebody. He will have something prepared for them. He will, come on. So if you're here and you know that you've got the wrong people in your boat, today is for you. So as they play, if any of those things God spoke to you about, then I want you to come forward. We're going to pray. We're going to believe God to do a miracle in your life. If you're here and you need salvation, if you're here and you need healing, if you're here and you've been running, or if you're here and you got the wrong people in your boat, then you can come forward and we'll pray with you.